Everybody, this is Dr. Diana Wiley, your host of Love, Lusts, and Laughter. I am so pleased to have my good friend of um, over about 25 years uh, on the show again. She first appeared in May of 2010, and then again in 2017 after Hugh Hefner's death. So uh, this is her third appearance, although when we lived in Hawaii, she was on my radio show there. So I'm so happy that my good friend Barbie Benton is here. I promise you she is authentic, bright, beautiful, talented, and fun. Welcome, Barbie Benton. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Do you need a job as a PR person? You know, I've always been uh, your uh, supporter and uh, encourager, and you have just so much talent. And it's uh, it's been, but but you're a good friend. I mean, you pay attention. You're you're very very sweet and fun. And um, and so so are you. Well, thank you, thank you. We do go Uh, back a long ways. And yeah, we, I, I want to speak yes. even when we're not on the radio. Oh, we do, actually. We, we did. Usually uh, it's in the wee hours of the morning. Yes, that's true. That's true, because we're both more owls night than owls. larks. Yeah, night owls. Um, but um, I, I will never forget how we first met, and that was in um, uh, 1998 when you were singing, featured uh, at the Honolulu Symphony Benefit. And um, my late husband, Charlie, and I were uh, sitting at your table. And then you got up to sing, and I thought, oh, my goodness, you have an operatic voice. And uh, anyway, we... Um, Thank you. I was singing opera that night. If you, yes. It was uh, Phantom of the Opera, the music from Phantom of the Opera. That's right, and that can't with be an easy orchestra. song to sing. So if you can't sound good with a symphony orchestra, you can't sound good. Well, you sounded good. and Thank uh, you. So we, we met that night, and then we went on to become fast friends. And um, we're both fun girls, right? <laughs> we are. And there, there are they're few and far between. Really fun people. Too many people are so straight, and they don't laugh, and they don't really have a good time in life. They're too serious. That's true. And when people can learn to play and laugh, uh, they are usually much healthier, um, and, and they have better relationships because they're cheerful and, and positive. Um, so... You were once again living in Hawaii. Uh, you and your husband George had a house there, and um, and you took up the hula again. But I'd like for you to share with the listening audience uh, how you started the hula with in your childhood with okay. Joan London. You tell that story, Barbie. Uh, please. When I was probably. About five. I might have even been four. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was best friends with Joan London's mother. Yes. And they were trying to find something to engage us in that would be different. They saw an ad for a hula teacher. I was growing up in Sacramento, and Joan was my best friend at the time. And yes. still is. Yes. <laughs> one of my best friends, as are yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, so our mothers enlisted us in this hula group, but it turned out that we were the group. Nobody else signed up. <laughs> Joan and I stayed <laughs> yes. with it for ye- for quite a few years, and we learned every Hoppa Howley hula known to man, probably about, mm-hmm. I don't know, 50 50 hulas at least that were silly hulas, and then we learned another 50 ancient hulas and another 50 regular hulas. Uh, So we were quite adept at doing the hula. And for some reason, when we got got a little older, we stopped doing it. And, And I didn't revisit the hula until I was about... 27. I had done it a few times when I was around half and half would, when we were in Hawaii, and he would say, oh, I'll get back to that. But I <laughs> decided when I moved to Hawaii to join a halal. So we yes. were a performing hula group. There were, and I stayed with that for the 10 or 15 years that I was living in Hawaii, and Mm -hmm. I just loved it. We did hula every single day at my house. The girls Mm -hmm. in the group would come over, and we'd practice, and it was good exercise because you're moving your waist all the time, so I stayed in good shape while I was doing the hula. And I remember that you really learned in your halal, you learned the many meanings to the song and that you can peel away the layers and take it into your soul so that when you begin to dance, the meaning comes through your face, your body, your hands and feet from everywhere. That's, it's, that's it's, true. My, yes. My Huma Hula, Kuma mm-hmm. Hula, uh, Kathy Ostrom was our teacher, yes. made us learn every word in Hawaiian that was in the song. So I spent hours poring over a Hawaiian dictionary so that I would understand what the translation of the song was. You can't just mm-hmm. hula. If somebody says, mm-hmm. oh, do a hula for us, <laughs> you can't say what songs do you have. And if they don't have a song you know, you can't just do a hula because right, right. every hand movement means something. Mm-hmm. And we had to learn the hand moves. It's almost, it's like being deaf. You have to learn the hand motions for all the words. So, yes, uh, yes. We, we practiced all the time. And it was delightful because I had a house overlooking the water. So we were doing the hula with the the ocean right next to us. And it was I mean, so how, special. that's perfection. That's just so inspirational, too, that you're with these group of women and you're all dedicated to the, to the real hula. 
and yes, with all and, of its uh, history and meaning, and and plus, as you said, it's really good exercise. It is, but the other thing about the way we did the hula was that we didn't look like howly girls. Girls that come from the mainland to do hula, yes, yeah, uh, where their hand movements are way too big. Uh huh. <laughs> I, yeah. I, if you can get a visual of people doing the the wave with their hands, they do way too much in on the mainland. Yeah. Um. I, 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 yes, it's, it, I had a, we had a friend in Hawaii who thought that you were a better hula dancer than the regular hula dancer at the, um, uh, the, uh, let's see, which hotel was it? The, um, who, I, I'll think of it later, <laughs> but the main hotel that, it starts with an H. This is a problem when I get older. I lose some of the pronouns and the names of things. Um, the Holly Kalani? Yeah, that was it. The yeah. Holly Kalani. Yeah. And um, so you, she was a regular dancer, and a couple of our friends said, you're better than she is because you would <laughs> treat us to some of these hula dances uh, at my house, too, when I had a party. And... and um, Anyway, memorable. I memorable. appreciate that you brought that up. Yeah. Nobody knows I do the hula except people in Hawaii. Yeah, and and, well, you do. <laughs> you know, uh, what I appreciate uh, about you um, is that you, when you approach a new task, you do it so thoroughly. You research it. You study it. You really discipline yourself to learn it well. And that's been You've had a number of adventures in your life, and I think you, your positive approach that you want to—you're curious about it, and you want to learn something from this—and and then share your gifts with others. I think it's very inspirational, Barbie. Thank you. You're welcome. So, perhaps you're most famous <laughs> for being Hugh Hefner's or Hef's girlfriend, and you were his girlfriend for about eight years. And that was maybe over 50 years ago now. Um, and you continued to be friends with him right up until he died in September of 2017. And, um, but I just w- wondered if you could start with, we'll talk a little bit about the Hess era, the Playboy Hess era, and um, what that was like and what did you bring to Hefner's life and uh, and being in Playboy, some of those highlights from the Hess era. Maybe it could start with you finding the mansion for for him. Uh, you you okay. start where you well, want to start, but the Hess to, era. To start with the mansion, I have to preface mm-hmm. it with the fact that I got Hef into tennis. And uh-huh. we started playing tennis wherever we could. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. We couldn't find a place that would take us for religious Mm -hmm. reasons because one was one place that was right on the other side of the mansion wouldn't let Mm -hmm. him join because I'm Jewish and they (laughs) didn't let any Jews in. And the other one, I said, well, let's try to join the Jewish club. And they wouldn't let us in because Hef wasn't Jewish. So... (laughs) 
I'm glad these so we Roblox are in the past. Trying, that was, you know, I don't know how things have changed, but um, Hillcrest is still a Jewish club, and I could join <laughs> if I wanted to shell out uh, whatever the fees are these days. But it doesn't matter. We We couldn't join a club that was near us. So we started playing tennis at different places, one of which was UCLA. And in order oh, yeah. to play at UCLA, we had to wait in line like everybody else. So uh, th- there might have been six courts, and you you stand in line for one of the courts, and you hope that those people will finish their game soon so you can play. But you only yes. get an hour or so. And it, it was getting old very quickly. So I suggested that I look for a house that might be for sale where people aren't using their tennis court. And I started looking. I couldn't find anything in the paper, but I happened to see a lock on a gate in Los Angeles. And that was very unusual because people don't lock their gates with a, a big lock and a chain. They, they just have a clicker. So mm-hmm. I decided maybe this place has a tennis court. So I hopped to the gate. That's my Barbie. She's she takes chances and she's adventurous. And, <laughs> and I was I was crossing my fingers that there were no Doberman pinchers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or at dangerous dogs or dangerous anything else. Uh, I have pygmies with darts in mind. But anyway, I walked up the, the driveway and when I saw that house, I went, "Oh my gosh." This is fabulous. And I wasn't really looking for a house per se, although Hef did say that there wasn't a house in L.A. that was worthy of him. And this one certainly was. Um, I walked all around and could not find a tennis court. Mm -hmm. But I called Hef that night and said, I found you a house in L.A., Mm-hmm. And he said, how much is it? And I Chicago, said, I, I don't think time. it's for sale, uh-huh. but uh, we took it from there, and I had my mother, who was a, a broker, a real estate broker, look yes. into it, and uh, she did it as a gift for half. Uh, she found out who owned it and happened to make the call, and it turned out that the people that owned it were going through a divorce, and they didn't know what they were going to do with the house. Mm-hmm. So we made, uh, Mom made a low-ball offer, and they, with a little negotiations, they took it. So Hef bought that house. I can tell you it was a million two, and mm-hmm. he sold it, long before he died with the ability to live in it for a hundred million. So according That's to Playboy nice I made I made Playboy more money than they've ever made because Playboy owned the mansion. Half owned Playboy. I see. Yeah. Playboy owned the yeah. So um 
that was that. Well, and and out. part of the deal was Hef yeah. said he would only buy it if I'd move in with him. So I mm-hmm. said, oh, I'll force myself. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, then uh, you you brought a lot to to Hefner's life. Um, you know, he he we we did a show uh, about his legacy back in 2017 after his death, but. I mean, Hefner really walked his talk. Um, he established a foundation to support Americans' First Amendment rights. He generously funded a wide range of sex-positive causes, including the founding of the International Academy of Sex Research. And this is a crucial organization that still thrives today. He, he you know, he, def- he did it his way, and... Um, and he also, when it came to sexuality, he would encourage others to do it their way, too. There, there was such an openness about him, and he, he changed the social uh, culture in the United States with his magazine and with his articles. And, and it must have been very exciting, because he must have talked to you about some of these things, too. Of course. Well, yes. he, the Playboy Foundation supported a lot of different things, including women's rights. And that's why it killed me that that people thought of him as a, a male chauvinist pig. Because yeah, he was, yeah. he, yes, he had nude girls in the magazine, but on the other hand, he was putting out money anonymously for women's rights groups. He was always pushing for equal pay for equal work. And many yes. of the people in his organization were some of the highest paid people in the country, and they were women. Even the yes. photo editor, Marilyn Grabowski, was uh-huh. a woman. She scrutinized those pictures that were centerfolds and all the other nude pictures. She she had her little magnifying glass out looking for stretch marks and everything else, and uh, and it, it paid off. She got a, a, ter- a terrific job. And then, of course, everyone knows that Hef's daughter, Christy, became the head person at Playboy. Yes. When she was very young. She spent about a, <laughs> it felt like a week in the mail room. <laughs> she went from the mail room to top banana. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and, yes. uh, and, by the way, Christy and, and I have very good too. friends. She She's my house guest occasionally in Aspen. Ah, so that's great. That's great. We, yes, well, I'm still part of the family, I guess. Um, let's let's rewind a little bit because I think your story about meeting Hef at Playboy After Dark when you were still a UCLA student um, and the age difference and just tell a, a, a short story about your meeting then and what he said about the age difference. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> okay. Story. Um, the, I was working on Playboy After Dark as, I guess you'd call it an extra. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I have to go back before this to explain how I got on the show, but I think I will, because it, it all relates. I was dancing at a discotheque, 
and somebody came up to me. I was dancing with my agent, of all people, and somebody came up to my agent and said, um, is this girl in your agency? And he said, yes. And the guy said, why didn't you send her in on the Playboy After Dark interview? Mm-hmm. And he replied, because I don't want to ruin her image. I was very successful in commercials. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't want to ruin the the chances of getting me really top commercials because I'm related to Playboy. Um, and I said, well, is, shouldn't that be my decision? Exactly. <laughs> you should be empowered me. even, you know, at I may be young, but empowered. I'm not stupid. And mm-hmm. I told him that I would, I'm, I would have loved to have gone to the interview, and I would have crossed my fingers that they would pick me. And the guy said, you know, we only needed 12 girls, 12 people, but if you would like to be on the show, we'll make you an, an extra person and just show up Monday morning at ABC. So I said, okay. And I showed up wearing something that was um, something that I would wear in high school because I was just out of high school. I was 18. Yes. And Hef was 42. Right. I hadn't met Hef yet, but I... Um, all these girls were wearing these micro mini skirts, and I was wearing something that was about three inches above my knee, which was the shortest dress that I owned. <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting in the bleachers. There was a, an area that had a lot of chairs, and I had taken myself away because I was studying for for my classes at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Well, Hef came over and introduced himself to me personally and asked me what I was doing. And I told him I was going, I was going to UCLA and I'm studying and I've got, got to get this done. Uh, I can't just hang out with these fun people. So we talked for a little while. And before I knew it, he asked me out. And I said, well, I don't know. I've never been out with anybody over 24. And he (laughs) replied, neither have I. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Which I thought was very clever, but I found out later it was probably true. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, he, I like young girls and I cannot lie. (laughs) Yeah. And that continued uh, for the rest of his life. It did. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was taken aback by the fact that he liked me, and he chose me out of all those people to ask out. Yeah. You were that I wouldn't go out unless it was with a group. So mm-hmm. we went out on a, a group date that it was either that night or the next night. I think it was both nights that we went out. We went to a place called the Candy Store. And, of course, nobody was looking at uh, IDs, so they were letting us drink when we were 18. And it was great 
fun, I have to say. It was a lot of fun. Anyway. Sure. I I remember the candy store. Wasn't it a really lively disco kind of club? It was a a club, and yes, it was extremely lively. Yeah. Uh, Everybody who was anybody went there, and... uh, all I can say is that I wish L.A. had some clubs like that, that now it's got, well, maybe it does. I'm just out of it. You know, when I go to a club, I am I could be their grandmother. <laughs> yeah, but I, so I young. You. You when I still dance. They're like 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's awkward to go to a club like that now at my mm-hmm. age. Even even if yeah. I can outdance them, yeah, you know, they I they all look at us and like, how, where did you learn how to dance? <laughs> well, we spent our lives in discos. So yeah. anyway, and, and, so and and half and I take hip hop, or I used to. Yes, <laughs> I know you take all kinds of dance and you approach right. everything very thoroughly, and uh, just as you did the hula. And so, but I, I want to know what else you brought to Hefner's life. I think you have some travel stories. I uh, do. Well, yes. I do. Uh, Hef and I, I tried to get Hef to travel. He had, mm-hmm. he had only been to Europe once, and that mm-hmm. was for the opening of the London Club. Yeah. I believe it was once before he met me. And mm-hmm. I, I convinced him that he was missing out on a lot mm-hmm. by not yeah. traveling because my parents had taken me all over the world by the time I was 16. And yes. I love travel. Yes. Before I know it, Hef decided to buy a plane. He said, if I'm going to travel, I might as well go in style. Mm-hmm. So he bought a DC-9 stretch plane, and our first trip went to quite a few cities. I think it was 16 cities, and we went to Africa, we went, um, we went to, uh, you just name it, we were there, and no matter where we I know you were in Paris. In oh, Maxime! You want the Maxime story? <laughs> the huh? Maxime story is kind of funny. Okay. Uh, that was that was the place that was in Gigi. The oh yes, fabulous restaurant that was in Gigi. Beautiful Art Nouveau. Uh, so we were headed to Paris. And Hef was dreading going to Paris because he doesn't like French food. He wants Middle Eastern food, uh, not Middle Eastern, Midwest food. You know, yeah, like well, he was what you get in raised in the Midwest. And he, he was probably, a meat and potatoes guy. Yeah, but yeah. don't put any fancy sauces on it, kind of guy. Uh huh. One of his favorite dishes was meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. And he liked fried chi- His favorite dish was fried chicken and mashed potatoes. So, yeah. okay. I went, um, in advance, we contacted the chef 
he didn't know about it. It was a surprise. Uh, we contacted the chef, and I sent the the valet over to meet with the chef with the recipe for Hef's favorite buttermilk fried chicken. And, of course, the chef had never done anything like that. That's good old southern food in sure in America. So he was very happy to give it a shot. And yeah, yeah, he yeah. did it exactly the way we told him to do it, and he made mashed potatoes. They were buttery and yummy. But when Hef was headed to the restaurant, he was really dreading it. He said, they won't have anything on the menu I can eat. Because, you know, they'll probably have steak Diane or <laughs> something yeah. or with Bernays sauce and uh, escargot, and he, he was just dreading it. So yeah. when they brought out our dishes after we ordered, we all ordered, and no matter what half ordered, he didn't get what he ordered. He got fried chicken and mashed potatoes. And what I can't nice tell you how happy was, he was. <laughs> that was clever and thoughtful of you to do that. Well, and it it took a very nice chef to do it. So, yes. And anyway, then did that give him some confidence to, to eat a little more French food after that? I mean, after having his American food, did he try any French food on that No. Trip? No. <laughs> okay. He was stuck in his ways. Yeah. You know, he was a liver and onions kind of guy. Yes, but, yes. But yes. he did appreciate a, a good recipe. Actually, mm-hmm. no. I did introduce him to some other kinds of food. Uh, I introduced him to, I, I don't know what you'd call it. It's almost Hawaiian food. There was a place in Beverly Hills that served food it was like luau food and oh, that must have been he really started liking things like ramaki which is uh, water yeah. chestnut uh, i think yeah. um, mm-hmm. wrapped in in bacon bacon uh, right so he he branched out and started trying other kinds of food and and i he once allowed me to pick a chef that would be Working at the mansion, we had chefs that worked 24-7 so that whenever he wanted something to eat, he could find it. And he let me pick the chef that I wanted for one of the shifts. And I picked a Japanese chef who could make Mm. sushi and... um, Hef didn't like sushi, but he started loving pot stickers <laughs> yep. and uh, all kinds of... There's so many dishes that uh, you can make in Japanese, with Japanese influence that are That's outstanding. Right. And even though he wouldn't eat sushi, he ate so many other things. And he, he started loving um, being a little more... Adventurous in, in his culinary yeah. approaches, <laughs> right? So uh, anyway, uh, the, he was one of my favorite chefs. Although Mary, who was the the uh, down south fried chicken chef, uh, 
Uh, I, I don't know that we call her a chef. She was more like a cook, but she was mm-hmm. fabulous. Um, and as wide as Aunt, Aunt Jemima, you know. <laughs> I loved her, you know. Um, but she tried everything she made, and she ate it. And that's and it showed, and... And uh, that's why I, I told Hef we have to cut back on our uh, on our naughty dishes, you know, like the fried chicken. We can only do that once a week or so. Anyway, yeah. so Hef, yeah. Hef did pay attention to his diet. He was always in pretty good shape, but I yes. I did get him to exercise much more. The tennis probably on, helped. On a bicycle, we actually rode a yeah. bicycle to UCLA to mm-hmm. play tennis with our tennis rackets on the back. I mean, you have to get this visual of an. To me, he was an older man, but he didn't act like he was in his forties. And forty-two mm-hmm. seemed old at the time, mm-hmm. but not. But Hef didn't seem old. Hef seemed. I like understand that. Yes, the rest of my high, my college friends. So, anyway. That was well. Uh, that was his uh, food entrance, and and um, you uh, you. Some people say Barbie Benton, and they 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 have. Some people know that you were his girlfriend, longer on his arm than many. Uh, about you said about eight years. Um, it was almost nine. And to almost nine, you. and um, and and it was longer than anybody else. Yes, yes. Unless you count uh, girls that were with him where there were six girls at a time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, Uh, you you took me to the mansion. That's kind of where he went after me. He went to uh, multiple girls. And and he did that because he didn't want to have to commit. Yes, that it seems seems like that was true and maybe that's one of the reasons that um the two of you didn't make it because uh, he had trouble committing and being no uh, he yeah. didn't have trouble committing but i did mm-hmm. um he he did ask me to marry him several quite a few times actually mm-hmm. i've mm-hmm. lost track but it was at least four and the last time I was, actually, there were two more times where he asked me where I was already married to George, and uh. he w- wanted me to unload George. <laughs> I said, I can't yeah. do that. You know, I've been, George has been a good part, partner. <laughs> and have said that, you know, we were perfect together. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just wouldn't go there. But, yes, I did... I was Hef's one and only, but he did, when I was on tour, he he kind of steered another direction for a few times. And I just didn't, you know, I said, look, I don't, I don't fool around. And if I don't, you can't either. That's the way it is in this day and age with things that are going on. So. Yeah, so you made you made a contract, you negotiated it. Um, he had a little trouble keeping it. I think that's true. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, but you know what? So, but t- so did our yeah. president. So, <laughs> oh, yes, of course. No, it's it's um, our former president. Our former president. Um, so, but um, you um, you mentioned when you were on tour. So let's talk a little bit about because you were you were doing a lot of singing and dancing and TV shows, Fantasy Island and The Love Boat and um, can you can you talk a little bit about was that part of the tour that you were on when no no when you no mentioned uh, no first of all that came, that came while later. I was while I was with Half I started doing a show called Hee Haw and by the way oh, talking yeah. about dancing. Another show that I was doing was Laugh-In, but I was mm-hmm. a, sort of an extra. I I didn't get mm-hmm. paid the big bucks. I danced behind Goldie when she was doing her party scene. It was oh, a party yeah. scene where she'd do jokes, and she was. we were all painted sometimes, but I was the dancer yes. behind her, and I didn't have any lines. And uh, I did that for, I don't know, about uh, several years. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing that, I got, um, they offered me a regular part on laugh Yes. But uh-huh. Laugh-In had just lost Judy Karn. She quit. And then they lost... Um, Lily Tomlin, and it was going downhill, and I decided that if I joined Laugh-In, it had nowhere to go, but it was going down, and it was risky, and at that time, I was asked to do a new show called Hee Haw, so I weighed the two, it's either one or the other, and I chose Mm -hmm. Hee Haw because it had nowhere to go but up. It was brand new, and it was actually modeled after Laugh-In, in my mind, it, very yes. much like Laugh-In. You do a joke and then get whacked by a, the board fence. And <laughs> I, I decided to do Laugh-In, and that took me a, to Nashville several months a year. We shot mm-hmm. it. It got to be much easier, but we shot it for six weeks at a pop in Nashville. And then in we'd Nashville. take months off, and then we'd go back and shoot another season. And I did that for six years. While I was doing that, I was also, on my, on my months that I didn't have to be in Nashville, I was doing episodes of Murder, She Wrote, uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, the, the, lots and lots of love boats and fantasy islands to the point where I was, I was the most used person on both of those shows as a guest star. Uh, and um, I was constantly doing TV shows. And then I started, as a result of singing on Hee Haw, I started getting gigs as a singer. And that's what really made it tough on my relationship with Half, because mm-hmm. I started going on tour with a band. I formed, I got a band, the Barbie Benton Band, and mm-hmm. we were 
gone more than we were home. So it was very stressful for half. And I remember one time when I was gone for New Year's, and, you know, New Year's people pay at least three times what you get normally for a night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and Hef was so distraught that I was going to be working on New Year's mm-hmm. that he offered to pay me to be with him on New Year's. And I said, oh, my God, if it's that important to you, I won't take the gig. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he was he was really sad to spend New Year's alone, so I didn't do that anymore. But it was very hard on him, and I, I realized that certainly now, but at the same time, he didn't give me an allowance, and Mm. he didn't give me money for anything, so Mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, well, and and there was more to it. Um, With the singing, I was kind of making a point, because Hef heard me sing when I didn't think he was listening in, when mm-hmm. I was uh, I, early in our relationship, I was practicing. And when a person practices, they sing notes that are at least three or five notes too high and several notes too low for their range. And that's how you stretch your range. So I was singing a song that was way too high for my voice, mm-hmm. the belt. Mm-hmm. And Hef, I did not know Hef was standing in the back of the room. He had entered, and he listened for a while, and he interrupted my song and said, Stop. Singing is not your forte. Mm-hmm. And I was... I was shocked. He was so mean. Mm. He was so mean about it. He said, you will never be a singer. People would have to pay to come. You'd have to pay them to come and hear you. And it was the first time he'd been mean to me. Uh, but in his mind, he was telling the truth. And I, I tried to say to him, I don't sing like this. This is my practice. And I, he said, you know, I heard you. And you're not a singer. Anyway, being well, Barbie hey, Benton, you know I decided Barbie. to double up on my singing lessons. I was taking yeah. once a week, and I started taking twice a week. And three years later, his, uh, somebody, I, was, I was singing, just waiting for him in, at the Playboy Club. I was waiting for Hef to finish a meeting upstairs and have said, why don't you just hang out with Joe Parnello? And mm-hmm. I, I'd met Joe Parnello. I didn't know him very well. But I decided to go hang out with him. He was sitting at the piano, and he said, Barbie, can you carry a tune? And I said, evidently not. <laughs> but but um, I'll, he said, I, I'd love for you to sing. I've got a little cheat book here. So I started singing with it, and he looked at me after one song and said, I want to hire you for the Playboy Clubs. <laughs> and I said, well, seriously, he said, oh, yeah, you're, you're better than, than 
80% of the people that sing at Playboy clubs. He said, you're a real singer. Well, that was the first person that had ever heard me sing since Hef walked in on me. And I said, well, you'll never push it through. You'd never be able to hire me. And he said, I'm the person that hires all the people that work in every Playboy club across the country. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't care. Hef will not let you hire me. So he said, I, he said, I'm going to hire you. If you want to do it, I'll, I'll help you put together an act and I'll hire you. And I said, fine, but you're going to have to go through Hef. Well, I was right. He went to Hef, and Hef said, absolutely not. You are not mm-hmm. going to hire Barbie. And he, he said, then I quit. And he did. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Hef said, Hef came back to him and said, you really think Barbie can handle it? And he said, hell yes. So he, he pushed it through, and he, got, he took, took his job back, and I, I opened at the San Francisco Playboy Club. Hef came to see me by himself. <laughs> so, you and know, the I'm following weekend, he, came, he, he took the plane, filled it with 40 people, and, and took them all to see me in San Francisco. And he became my biggest fan. So, yes. you know, it, nothing is insurmountable, unsurmountable. No, so, and I'm uh, thinking that his, Barbie, I'm thinking that his initial reaction when you were practicing and he was kind of mean, there could have been something a little self-serving about that because he wanted you more for himself. And here you are, you know, having this wonderful career and away from him. So maybe there was some of that unconsciously that he, uh, and he obviously came around to your uh, vocal talents, but... um, I mean, he, he, do you think that's possible, that he just wanted more of you to himself? I don't think so. I think no. that he was in favor of me having a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he thought about me becoming successful and going on tour. I don't think that entered his mind. He just He was really trying to help me and tell me that there is no way that I'll be a singer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what I honestly think although he was pushing me to become an actress. Yes. And, well, and you did it all. You still well, get royalty yeah, I, I eventually the started boat, taking acting lessons. But uh-huh. I did most of my, I did a lot of work without ever having had a, an acting lesson, and that was probably a mistake. I, mm-hmm. I never got out of television until after I'd spent about five years with... Milton Katselis in a class with Michelle Pfeiffer and Tom Selleck, and, you know, the, the list goes on. I had a very important uh, group of classmates, and there were only about a dozen of us. So the work that we did in class was better than anything you ever see on, in, on TV, or you know, certainly better than TV. Don't get it right, get it Monday. Yes, yes. Um, well, so your your career was really it, it was in full bloom. Yes, and um, and so let's fast forward to two thousand and six 
and I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and we were good friends and are, but you invited me to, to the Girls Next Door episode, Fight Night. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so I accompanied you to the mansion for Fight Night, and, um, and while you were in the restroom inside the mansion, we got invited inside. The rest of the party was outside because of Hef and you, so I had a chance to talk to Hef. Uh, about some of Helen Fisher's ideas about the the initial stirrings of love and then why uh, long-term relationships often go stale. And it's all based, it was all based on her, uh, F, uh, her uh, fMRI studies looking at people's brains where in the beginning you're getting a lot of testosterone and dopamine, can't keep your hands off each other, it feels like, you're on speed, and then after a while later, those hormones turn into more oxytocin and more touching. And he was really interested. The camera was rolling, but they chose not to use that uh, for the mm-hmm. Girls Next Door episode. But that was really a fun evening for me to be with you and to meet these girls. I mean, there was one, Kendra. She was a bit of a bimbo, but she was sure nice to look at, but she seemed immature. Kendra. Right. Well, yeah. Um, Holly and Bridget and Kendra were the three girls next door. Yeah. That was the show, the girls next door. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I got to, I got to know them at first. Holly was Holly was. Um, it almost came off that she was envious, and like, why? <laughs> You know, why be envious of somebody who could be your mother? But mm-hmm. she was, she came around and we all, we all became friends. Um, mm-hmm. Kendra and I really bonded because I think that she felt like I was the mother figure that was also her friend. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we planned play dates like roller skating and, uh, Venice, <laughs> you know, and silliness. Uh, but anyway, uh, awesome. I thought the girls were fun, like, and and they did come to Aspen with half. Yes, let's tell the audience. And they about stayed that. at our that house. Kind of that was kind of special. They came to the Copper Palace, your home with with George. Half and the girls visited you. Um, so that must have been two thousand and seven, or. I don't know. Time doesn't mean anything to me now. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was back then. Back but, then. Uh, yeah. And they they we skied together and my daughter tried to teach Holly how to snowboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kendra was pretty good at snowboarding. Um Yeah. She's, Anyway. So, yeah, so, um, you know, I want to quote Colette, and then that'll move us to uh, the final segment of this interview. Yes, Colette I got off said, the subject there. That's, no, you didn't um, at all. Uh, I love your stories. Um, Colette said, you will do foolish things, but do them with enthusiasm. And I can relate to that, <laughs> too, 
because if you if you take risks and 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 have an openness about you and the enthusiasm and all of that that can make such a difference and um and i think you you i think you brought a lot of that to Hess with all of the travel and he got to experience a lot of things vicariously through youth and the excitement um so do you think that that's that's true that you brought that enthusiasm and your youthful uh, joy of life, you know, to to just the joie embrace de joie de vie, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to embrace change. I love that word, um, <laughs> that term. But yeah, that's what that's do you love. What do you love about it? Well, I just—it's the joy of life. Aren't yes, we all lucky right. to be here? And let's Aren't make the we? most of it. We're only here for. A hundred years if you're really, really lucky. Yeah. And um, we're already a little bit uh, on the on the upper third, in the upper third of our lives. And uh, let's live them to the fullest. To the fullest. And, uh, yeah, I say at this point in my life I have fewer years, way fewer years in front of me than I have behind me. So... <laughs> Issues of mortality definitely come up, and especially heightened by the pandemic and and all that's gone on for the last couple of years. But but you know, getting having a zest for life makes a lot of difference. Um, what uh, can you think about? What are some of your takeaways from not only your relationship with Hess, but then since then what? What um, what are some what are some um, of the well, things that you all, learned about yourself and about yeah it's a rather existential philosophical question but some oh, kind so of takeaway you know I I'm not good at non-specific questions I can yeah okay go off on this on a tangent with anything but um, <laughs> I have been married now to George for. 42 years. Yeah. And one thing I've learned is that nobody is perfect. I'm certainly far from perfect. Yep. And my husband is far from perfect. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. I've learned that the grass isn't any greener. If I I were to leave George, I'm not going to find anybody better than George. I'm just going to find somebody different. And I might... Mm -hmm get some new experiences, but one thing I love about having been married this long is that we have memories that go back more than 42 years because we also dated. Now, we didn't date that long, but, uh, uh, yeah, I I say when you've got a, a fish on the line, catch him, and shortly after I well, it was about three years after I left half, I met George and knew that he's as close to perfect as I'm going to get. And he's mm-hmm. only, he's 10 years older than me. And I swear, he's eight, well, I, now I've, now I'm telling my age, <laughs> but he's well, 80, he's 81 right now. 
He's 81, and he rides his bicycle 40 miles every day mm-hmm. after he lifts weights for an hour. And in the summer, he'll swim for an hour. In the winter, mm-hmm. he'll walk up the hill in Aspen all the way from the bottom to the top um, and ride a stationary bicycle for about three hours. The guy is the Iron Man. He still has a 29-inch waist. You know what kind of shape he's in. And his brain is every bit as sharp as his body. He is the wittiest guy anybody will ever meet. I mean, how many times has he made you laugh? A lot. And, uh, you know, I was privileged to... Uh, to be your house guest in Aspen for 10 days a few months after Charlie died so suddenly. And, and so I, I got to know uh, George a little bit better. I mean, I'd gotten to know him some in Hawaii. But he is um, such a disciplined man, and, um, and he appears far younger than his chronological years. But so do you, and you exercise, and you do all kinds of things to stay in shape. Um, Barbie... We're going to have to close the show in a few minutes, but, um, oh, they're starting it right now. I hear the music. I want to have you back sometime soon in the new year because I want to play little clips of your music because that, you you wrote, you composed Kinetic Voyage, which is a wonderful new age uh, song. We'll, we'll, We'll revisit your amazing event-filled life so i want to thank you barbie for being my guest today thank you so much for having me on you're welcome and we'll be in touch and everybody i wish you well and have good holidays and i will be back in two weeks so that'll be after christmas so and i want to thank everybody out there for listening Yes, that's right. And the show will be archived by tomorrow morning. It usually is anyway. So, Barbie, you're just a delightful friend and guest, and I so appreciate you. You take care. Thank you. I and truly enjoyed doing this. I'm so glad. Okay, everybody. Signing off. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye.